2: The right thing sounds so good in meetings. It looks fantastic in charts. The right thing soothes racing pulses and settles churning stomachs. Everybody can get on board with the right thing. The right thing is good enough. But good enough is not enough. Don't do it. Don't do the right thing. Avoid it like the plague. So what are you supposed to do? The wrong thing? of course not do the brave thing the thing that troubles your sleep the thing with a million unknowns that seems ridiculous one moment and genius the next that's the thing you should do chase it down don't let it go do the thing that disrupts that upends That doesn't just defy the status quo, but reshapes it forever. You can do that. You have that in you. To do the right thing or not is a choice. To disrupt or not is a choice. Let's do the brave thing. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the
0: Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. Back again with me is Patrick Coffey, our senior, well, I almost called you by your old title, your editor-at-large now. Patrick, welcome back. Hi, David. We have got some uh, really fascinating news and a, one of the biggest legacies in advertising to talk about today with the retirement of Lee Clow, uh the Chiat Day creative uh, genius icon. Those are not words I throw around lightly, so you know it's legit. Uh, Lee Klau has announced his retirement after 50 years in advertising, most of that at TBWA, uh, Chiat Day and TBWA Worldwide, and with us to talk about it, very excited to have on Nancy Reyes, the president of TBWA Chiat Day New York. Nancy, thanks so much for making time
3: for us. Thanks for having me.
0: And uh, Nancy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role? I personally always get confused about the difference between CEO and president at different agencies. Tell us uh, kind of broadly what you do at, uh, at Chiat Day New York.
3: Sure, fair enough. Uh, As president, I run the day-to-day operation of the agency, so I oversee most clients, uh, make sure we're doing the right stuff uh, with the right people on a day-to-day basis.
0: Well, we are going to talk briefly about the news, then we are going to uh, have a good conversation with Nancy about... Uh, the, you know, the legacy of Lee. And, uh, you know, what I, I'll just go ahead and say I'm really excited to be having one of these conversations without someone dying. You know, it feels like a lot <laughs> of times we only really pause to celebrate people's uh, careers uh, after their passing. And, I, you know, I almost had to keep making sure that in everything the other day, like when we're writing our headlines and we're posting our timelines and stories, just making it clear, like, he's retiring. Don't worry. It's like, it's like when you see your favorite celebrities trending on Twitter and you're like, oh God, (laughs) what happened? And it's like, oh no, no, Betty White just did a new ad. It's like, oh, okay.
1: okay." Well, the the fact that his retirement in itself was such a big news item says a lot
0: yeah, and we, we haven't had, you know, in the past decade, we haven't had many of these. And honestly, it's a sign that there just aren't many of these uh, kind of creative icons uh, left. You know, you, of course, you had your wave of uh, from the David Ogilvy era and a lot of those folks uh, who were from a, an earlier time. Lee is really iconic with, you know, whether you call it the creative renaissance of advertising, but he brought this you know, 60s and 70s culture to advertising versus the Mad Men kind of 50s, early 60s. Nancy, is that fair? Is that a fair summary of kind of the difference between him and your your David Ogilvy's?
3: Oh, I wouldn't agree more. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, he's sort of a modern, a more modern day uh, legacy and icon of the business and one that pretty much everyone knows about and everyone talks about no matter what agency you worked at uh he, he's the one we talked about
0: and you know and just so widely beloved uh patrick we're going to talk about your conversation with lee uh in, in that uh you had shortly before we announced uh in the in Adweek about his retirement uh but uh you know the i had several favorite parts in there um but just the fact that his name was never on the door i know that's kind of a weird place to start but it is something where as we were talking about uh this story we all kind of said like yeah, that is weird. You know, you've got places like CPB adding Alex Boguski in the, you know, in the, I think, in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, so it's still, it still happens that partners get added to the name. What did he tell you about why his name was never added to uh, TBWA Chiat Day?
1: Well, he really just told me that he he saw his life's work as uh, building Chiat Day and into the organization that it is now. And he said the very fact that it that it remained intact in some way is, is evidence of his success. Um, and he thought that it was kind of like the work that he did speaks for him and he doesn't necessarily need to have his name on it, which is kind of um, – I mean it's refreshing because infamously advertising has a lot of big egos and, you know – um, everybody is uh, one letter in the acronym, right? Or aspires to be.
0: Well, and if you think about it, TBWA Shia Day already has like six names tucked in it.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but that hasn't stopped other agencies. I mean, well, we've got-
1: while we're on that, I find it very amusing how you guys kind of had the forward slash and then that you turned into the backslash uh, after the <laughs> TBWA <laughs> acquisition, you know? Because, you know, some people still use the forward slash, Oh, yeah. It's this, almost like we have to turn to a style guide. Yeah. I kind of got them confused <laughs> when I was writing the story, and I didn't realize that when, re- when referencing the old Shite Day, I had to use the front slash.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: I'm glad you noticed that because that was as I wrote the – Patrick wrote the main story on, on Lee's retirement. I wrote the timeline, and that timeline, it was so confusing. It's like, okay, wait, now now it's a backslash. Wait, now it's uh, – at one point it was Shite Day Mojo? I, I did not know about the three-year era, era where Mojo was in the name, <laughs> but on, on that note, let's talk briefly about the timeline of Lee's career, just to give folks who may not be familiar or just kind of know him as this enduring figure. His career really spanned uh, not just decades, but spanned a really amazing run for uh, for Shiat for TBWA, uh, you know, and really like the timeline reminded me that this is just a microcosm of. Of the last few decades of the agency world, Uh, at its best, you know we should, of course, uh, talk about the the obvious elephant in the room is that he created 1984. You know the most enduring and celebrated ad of all time, uh, and definitely of Super Bowl ads. But it's not just that. It's not just these creative peaks. It's the the backstory as I was going through it of, you know, he joined Shia Day when it was a very, uh, well, I mean, not a very small agency, but it was a small agency. Uh, and, you know, they had about 50 employees in one office. Uh, and it, it had been, you know, Shia Day was formed by the merger of, uh, of Jay Shiat's old company and, uh, and a company called Faust Day. And, you know, he just, Lee saw something in this agency that he really wanted to be a part of. Uh, he was at another agency at the time, NWA or and uh, and he waged this year-long uh, campaign for, <laughs> for Day to hire him uh, called Hire the Hairy, as in, like, a hairy guy. And... <laughs> And, like, he just was relentless, just bombarding the poor creative director until finally in uh, January of 73 he came on. And then just starts, like, flying up the ranks over the next decade uh, until he's, you know, he becomes associate creative director and then around the time of 1984 becomes uh, the creative lead in the office. And and at that point, uh, you know, after 1984, although things got... A lot worse for Apple uh, in the coming years. You know that was when Steve Jobs left shortly after '84, uh, and so you know Shiat got parted uh, from Apple, from its most celebrated client, for you know what was that about 15 years or so. Uh, but then, uh, but then over the next few years, you know Shiat Day really had an amazing run and became this international agency. Uh, and uh, you know, to to fast forward a bit, of course, uh, in, during the merger. Mayhem, the merger, you know, merger mania era of the uh, the late '80s and the '90s, when you had all these agencies getting snatched up and forming into these big holding companies, and Omnicom uh, formed out of DDB, BBDO. Uh, they they. You know they made the acquisition offer uh, on uh, Shia Day, and they merged it with uh, TBWA, the French uh, French-founded company, a very international company. That they, uh, you know, shortly after being acquired by Omnicom, got mashed up uh, with Shia Day, and that's how we ended up with TBWA Shia Day. And of course, TBWA has become this massive global uh, agency network uh, that encompasses many, many parts. Uh, it was named our. Uh, global agency of the year uh, for the past year, uh, thanks in in no small part to uh, the success of Shia Day, the success of TBWA Media Arts Lab, which is the Apple specific uh, agency that that Lee really pioneered. And you know, that's I, I could keep going on everything that Lee accomplished creatively, but I th- I think hopefully that covers most of the broad strokes. Nancy, I, I'm curious when you. What, you were on the client side, and I always joke that once people go client side, they do not go back to agencies, <laughs> like, have, to, have to work those hours again. What what made it so compelling to you? I believe you came on as managing director to to come over to, uh, to Shia Day New York. Yeah,
3: you're right. I did. I did. It was the spirit of the company that got me. Uh, I think the thing I lacked on the client side was a spirit of uh, teamwork uh, and a spirit of creativity. Not that that didn't exist at the organization that I was at, but more that it is so inherent uh, in agency culture and moreover that it's inherent at TBWA Shia Day. It was the kind of place where when I walked in the halls, I could feel it. I could feel that this was a place where great ideas and, and uh, great things had happened and were going to happen before. Um, it has that kind of a feeling to it. It's very sensorial. Uh, that's how I've always explained my, um, my first impression of the agency when I walked in. It was a very sensorial experience.
0: Uh, when I was talking to Troy Ruhanen, when we were writing, who is the global CEO of TBWA, uh, when we were writing uh, the uh, Global Agency of the Year piece, he made a comment that, and I don't think he was the one who first said this, but it struck me. He said uh, that. L.A. was always the heart of Shia Day and New York was the brain. (laughs) And I'm curious if that is there still that kind of kind of, uh, you know, how would you describe the difference between, you know, Lee Cloud, we should know, was a lifelong L.A. guy like to the absolute core in the surfer way, not in the like Hollywood way. Um, But how would you describe the difference between uh, the New York and LA offices?
3: I actually think that's a great description. Oddly, I had never heard of it, but it makes me feel really good about being in New York and understanding the difference between the two offices. um, To be honest, I I do think New York is uh, more of a global hub, uh, a a center of innovation, um, a place where we sort of think about uh, big, broad brand ideas uh, across global Clients, so I've I've always felt that that's the that's the soul of of the office, and certainly in the ambition of the office. Um, and LA has has always had, and will always have, an incredible creative reputation. Um, I think both offices w- would probably have similar aspirations. I think uh, the creativity in New York is uh, is growing every minute. I mean, we had a we had a terrific year last year, and a lot of amazing creative ideas are are coming out of that place. Um, I also think uh, Lee. And and Troy have a good way of bringing those two offices together more than separating them. So, uh, even though it's easy to put them into separate categories, I think both of them thrive off of the same thing, which are big uh, brand ideas, big creative ideas uh, that can change the world. It's the same spirit. And that's a Lee Klao thing. Um, I don't think that that um, matters geographically, I think that that spans everywhere.
0: You know, one thing I saw with this that I've I I can't think of any other example where I've seen something like this is my social media of all the people I follow who either work at Cheyenne Day or have worked in some capacity, you know, alongside the company. Everyone had a photo with Lee. Like <laughs> Patrick, did you notice this? Like everybody oh, yeah. was posting photos, and I'm just like did this guy just make himself tremendously accessible? And so many people had an almost identical story of, like, on my first day at TBWA TBWHI Day, Lee Clow came up to me and welcomed me and and talked to me. And, you know, they were, of course, all freaked out to have this, like, creative god coming up to them, but said he was very welcoming. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious, Nancy, from your perspective, that's not something I've— really heard about executives at his level. Is that the kind of reputation he had of just being very approachable, accessible, encouraging, even for the kind of frontline first, you know, early employees?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny. I don't have a photo with Lee Clow, and I'm totally jealous that you just said that. But I do have an email that he sent me. Uh, when, I, when I got promoted from managing director to president, he sent me an email with the subject line from Lee and all it had in there was a thumbs-up emoji. And I took a picture of it. I saved it in a folder. I, I sent it to my husband. I sent it to my friends. I, I packed so much meaning into that little thumbs-up emoji. Um, and in and in, it's the most simple articulation of, of what I felt was a lot of love and support from Lee. Uh, I, I mean, I hope he meant it that way, but that's certainly how I took it.
0: Uh, Patrick, let's go back to your conversation with Lee. There were so many fascinating aspects of it, but, but the part that I, that doesn't come across when you're just reading a q and a what was what kind of attitude or not attitude like what kind of uh vibe were you getting from him did he seem excited about retirement did he seem kind of <laughs> reluctant to to leave i mean this is a guy who spent fifty years in this yeah. industry yeah uh, what was his i don't know what was the vibe you were getting from him
1: i think that Lee is uh living his best life i mean that's the way that that i would put it he's very um Zen, for lack of a better word. And and I really admire that in a way. That's just, just a first impression because I don't know him as well as um, obviously a lot of other people do. But he he seemed like the kind of guy who was – would pretty much always be even kilter um, e- even though he said that of course there have been fights uh, throughout my history in the industry. But one, one thing that really um, – Stood out to me, and this was this was one of the great quotes. He said his, uh, his one of his proud the things he's proudest of is the fact that no one really considers him an asshole. That everyone he not everyone necessarily loves him, but everyone seems to like him. Whereas uh, most of the big personalities in advertising, that's that's not quite the case. And uh, I think that he. He didn't seem to really have any kind of regrets, or to even feel like this was necessarily a thing coming to an end. Uh, more that it was just kind of like the uh, it, not the, not a conclusion to a chapter, but rather just kind of the natural next step for him. And and it was also kind of you know he's not even going to completely step away. I mean, one point that he made to me a couple of different times was, you know, they like me so much that I'm still able to sort of come into the agency and mess around with whatever I want and not really be responsible for any of it, which is great. Um, so <laughs> I I was a little jealous of him, honestly, as a, uh, as a person who deals with like the various anxieties of... Um, working and living in the city and all that stuff, he just seemed like above it all. And uh, especially when he told me, he's like, I never wanted to move to New York, even though that was where all the things were happening um, with Bernbach and all this other stuff, all these guys who were really transforming advertising into something that that you had to pay attention to. He wanted to stay in L.A. and he did. So um, that's a very long-winded way of me saying that I just uh, thought that he was very chill (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my favorite Lee moments that I that I've seen. He he won the two thousand and thirteen Lion of St. Mark, which is the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award from the Can Lions Festival, and then uh, maybe what was it? Two years ago, David Droga won, uh, and Droga obviously quite a bit younger than uh, than most of the folks who've won that. And my favorite moment in the very excellent video that they put together uh, celebrating Droga's career was when Lee pops up, mostly because, and I can't convey this well in a podcast, we'll play the audio here in a second, but like it's got this bad, bad internet connection and this, like, obviously he's shooting it on a phone. He's on the beach somewhere. Like I picture, <laughs> he's like in, in Tahiti or something. You're just like, like, I think he might even be on a boat. And and he's just basically, and he, of course, he's wearing like a tank top and he's sunglasses and he just looks like he's been out, you know, in, in, on this island for, for months. <laughs> and he's <laughs> And he's telling you, he's just like, well we'll we'll play the we'll play the audio here cuz it it cracked me up.
2: You become the lion of St. Marks and you become increasingly irrelevant. You're too young to be irrelevant. Turn it down, David, turn it down. I
0: I just I love I love like the You know, that even when everyone else is like, David, this is a really big honor. You should be very proud, and we're all very proud of you. And then, like, Lee just, he brought this kind of fun. And to Patrick's point, I was sitting there looking at him, wherever he was in the world, I am just being like, man, that guy is living the dream. (laughs) Nancy, I'm curious, like... A, you know, first let's just talk about the reaction. When, when this was announced to the company, you guys obviously got, uh, you know, a heads up a bit early. What, what was the reaction like among uh, employees?
3: I think it is a day we'll remember. Uh, I, I remember getting the note, and I actually reached out to Rob Schwartz, uh, the CEO of our office, who's very close to Lee Clow, and uh, I sent him a bunch of heart emojis because that's, that was the best way to express it. It was, uh, it was bittersweet. It was, um, oh my God, I can't believe it. Um, but, but you know, a uh, lot of love for him. And and in some ways, while this is a moment, and there's there's always probably going to be a, a, a post-Lee Clow retirement sort of era and a pre-Lee Clow, you know, it's, he he's not going to feel gone or forgotten. You know, he's so embedded into the culture of the company uh, that uh, he, he sort of lives on. But I think we've felt a bit, like our heart sank a little bit um, and then, you know, and then lots of love poured out. was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, a couple of different emotions all wrapped into one.
0: Well, let's talk about that legacy because, of course, that's what we're most curious about. And really the main thing, the the main reason we reached out to you to be on this episode is because, you know, we can find a lot of people who've known Lee Cloud for years and can really talk about his, uh, you know, his career. Uh, but what I'm most interested in is how does someone like that, when they leave, even if, as Patrick points out, you know, he's, he's not gone, 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 but like when someone at that level of creative leadership uh, departs, how do you maintain their principles, their, their guidelines, um, their priorities, I guess? How do, how do you do that? And, and what kind of burden, you know, beyond the, the chief creative officers uh, at TBWA, w- what kind of burden do you feel that that puts on you?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, first of all, there are lee everywhere. And, um, you know, the industry knows them. You guys know them. We know them. And, and like you guys said, Lee wasn't in New York all the time. So he didn't need to be in the hallways for Lee to be present, you know, the the make it smart, make it beautiful, have fun. That's a thing we say all too regularly. Um, Just like we quote, you know, Jay Shiat, it's never good enough, not good enough. You know, we always say in the words of Jay Shiat, it's not good enough. In the words of Lee, have fun. Uh, That's a very natural thing for everyone to do. And the words, the Lee-isms are always so damn simple. They're so powerful that it's not, uh, they'll always last. They're very classic in nature. So I, I think it's a, it's a very natural thing. And I've only been at the agency two and a half years. Um, and I, and I've embraced him and embraced, you know, embraced his, his way of thinking. So I think, I think it's already in there. I think the other thing that we've been exposed to with him is, is how much the state of the industry matters to him. He always wants to talk about it. He always wants to make sure we're examining it, uh, provoking us. Are we being brave enough? What do we make of the new media world and all this programmatic? Are we still going for big brand ideas? Is everything that the brand is doing, do you still believe that it's all advertising? I think all of his questions, all of his provocations force us to examine the industry, the state of the business, the state of the brands, and the work that we're doing on a regular basis. And again, I think it's become such a way of thinking and working at uh, TBWA I Day that I, you know, it, it'll, it'll live on beyond Lee because uh, it feels like we're doing important work if we carry on questioning the things that Lee was questioning and building the brands uh, that Lee built.
1: That was one thing that – another thing that uh, struck me during our interview is that on first glance, it would be easy to see him as like this, you know, the dude type character who abides or whatever. But he really um, got into it. You know, you could tell that he thinks deeply about these things and almost – I feel like it's almost not even on a a linguistic level. Like David, I I don't know if you remember this, but we have a a big picture of Lee – in one of our offices, in one of our meeting rooms at Adweek, yeah, at least at our at our old office, and I, I would always just kind of look at the picture and feel like I kind of understood what he was what he was getting at, um, just in terms of like, you know, maybe take yourself a little bit less seriously. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, but that was the that was what I always took from that. From that big image of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was always so nice that I think the reason we all liked that picture so much, you know, he's wearing a T-shirt, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of uh, in mid-conversation and all these other ad executive type photos and, and that we had around the office, they're all, you know, very professional looking and they're all very stylish and they're all very like buttoned up. And I... I'm going to miss if we ever get to a point in in this industry where we don't have people who wear t-shirts and who are, are feel comfortable being themselves and and I you know again that's the vibe I kept getting uh, from younger staffers uh, at uh, Shai day and who interacted with him was just that he made them feel that it's okay to be yourself that it's okay to be a little different from maybe what you expect. Um, and, you know, Nancy, I'm curious if that's something, are we reading too much into it or, or, you know, do you feel you've worked at several agencies, you know, culturally beyond his, you know, kind of commitment to creativity, just having someone like that at the top, what do you think that says about kind of the atmosphere of the workplace?
3: I, I totally agree with you. I think it does feel, uh, relaxed when he's around, when we're really living uh, his vibe and embodying his spirit—it—it it is about having fun. I mean, it is—it's it's about creativity and ideas. It shouldn't feel so hard, so forced, so professional. Uh, and I think, you know, in New York, we probably have to have to sort of push against that tension quite a bit because it becomes a much more formal type of city and environment. But yeah, I, I think his greatest ambition was if you have fun and you relax, you'll see the bigger picture. It's 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 always in those moments of, of sort of releasing the tension uh, and having a good time that maybe a piece a piece of brilliance comes it it isn't from agony all the time or studying something <laughs> to death but you know in the full relaxation of it um that we can get to great
1: if only journalism worked that way <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it did did lee Ever come and maybe this is a question for either of you. I I can't remember now, right now, if it came up in your conversation, Patrick, but did Lee ever make peace with data and the role that data plays in marketing? Because I mean, so many creatives who came up through the 70s, 80s, especially really saw this rise of, of data and the way that it influenced creativity as a negative force or often as a kind of I- inhibiting force on creativity. Did How did he or did he ever make peace with that?
1: Um, he did address that, yeah. I mean, we, we he talked about how, on the one hand, uh, all this technology is essentially all these new platforms that we have and has uh, complicated and confused the whole matter in terms of how brands communicate with consumers and how people communicate with one another. But he also said that he thinks the new uh, the new generation of creatives will eventually find a way to kind of leap over that and come back to a place where it's really all about this big idea um, and see all the different tools that we have now as uh, enabling people really rather than um, just kind of confusing them so that it's you know, he used the example of like with the smartphone, how everybody can make a movie or, or take a great photograph now. Um, so he said, once we realize, once we find out what this equation should really be, um, we should all be better for it because we all have all these these great tools that we definitely didn't have when when he was coming up in the sixties and seventies.
0: I feel like we can't have this conversation without uh, talking about the creative that uh, Shia day generated under uh, under Lee and uh, you know and then of course at TBWA Media Arts Lab once that was founded uh, after the reunion of Steve Jobs with Apple and then very quickly hired <laughs> hired uh, Shia day back again as soon as he returned uh, and then of course went on to create. Uh, just some of the most iconic ad campaigns of all time, even just within the Apple portfolio. You've got uh, Get a Mac, which was the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC campaign, certainly you know one of my favorites. You had the Silhouette campaign, uh, which really I think a lot of people – Almost exclusively, give credit to uh, the iPod becoming the the absolute dominator in the MP3 space, uh, and uh, and then you know going back to to not not all the way back to 1984, uh, but to this reunion era uh, when uh, Steve Jobs came back to Apple and they kind of ushered in this new era of advertising with uh, the Think Different campaign. Uh, and, of course, one of the most uh, celebrated TV spots uh, of all time, at least within the advertising industry, I would say, uh, was Here's to the Crazy Ones. Let's listen to that ad. Um, there were famously two versions of the ad. There was one with Steve Jobs reading it. But I'm, let's listen to the Richard Dreyfus, like the classic uh, version of it. Just because, man, if, if this doesn't stir your soul, I'm not sure what advertising will.
1: Here's to the crazy ones. The Misfits. The rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them, because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do.
0: Nancy, in the in the kind of pantheon, you know, we we talk a lot about Apple, and and sometimes it's hard not to when you're talking about Lee's uh, background. But what do you think of when you think of kind of some of the greatest ads that TBWA Shiat Day has done in the in the, you know in recent years? Uh, what that maybe sometimes gets overlooked when you just when you talk about kind of these big famous Apple things that came out of Media Arts
3: Lab. Wow, well, I mean, I I do think that the uh, the uh, old ads always stand the test of time. I mean, the, even the nine X stuff, you know, I mean the the white pages and yellow pages aren't even around anymore. And I think, I think we still have clients and we still have creatives who say, how do I get me one of those? If it's out there, it's in here kind of lines. Um, And of course the, the Taco Bell, I mean, all all of the Apple work, you know, what I've always been impressed by, what we're always impressed by is that even as, as we usher in more modern times and uh, and data and platforms as Patrick said, become more more relevant and more of a medium for people. Those ideas still stand the test of time, and they still feel big, and they still feel like they reach the masses. So um, I think the Apple work is great. I think the Gatorade work is fantastic. All of the Serena uh, work, the Derek Jeter work, um, I I think those ki- that those kinds of ads, that kind of work, still feel like it's in it's in the era and in the and in the world of of Lee Cloud.
0: Yeah. You know, there's this very rarefied air and this is some real inside baseball, but this is an advertising podcast. So that's what you get. Um, The the ad ad campaigns that have necessitated creating entire new can lions (laughs) are some of my my favorite. Uh, You've got maybe most famously people talk about titanium uh, coming out of uh, work like BMW films from Fallon. Where there's just like, where does this go? Like, what do you do with this? And one of one of those, one of the only other ones I can think of is the replay campaign from Gatorade, uh, where you know they they brought together these two rival teams decades later to uh, to play against each other in football, and they had to, you know, that ended up creating uh, the you know the branded content uh, Lions because. Where again? Where does this go? Where does this fit? Uh, and, and I feel like those are the kinds of things going back and revisiting his career. You know, again, it's really easy to to think about things like Yo Kero Taco Bell and and uh, you know all the Apple work, but that kind of impact. Uh, I think that's what in in the long run, those are the things that maybe get overlooked, but just shows what an impact uh, Lee has had and the TBWA Shia Day has had on the on the larger industry.
3: Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, the other the other thing I would say is that that Lee is a big believer in um, in work across multiple platforms. So um, it's it's easy to think of anyone who's been in the business long enough as overly TV indexed, but that's not you know that's never been Lee Clow. He believes that any action that a brand takes is a piece of advertising out there. So the idea that that work that comes out of TBWA Shirete would naturally invent new. uh, new categories for can fully make sense because the, the multitude of platforms is never ending these days. And it's it's nowhere near a TV spot, even though most of the time people recall uh, the, great, the great TV spots like 1984 as a part of his legacy.
0: Well, one thing that I feel this also highlighted going back through a lot of the great ads, and, and it's hard to know for those of us who weren't there, you know, what exactly Lee's role was. But the fact that it's consistent is telling is that there were so many times where Apple and other clients kind of said, I don't know. Uh, You know, Steve Jobs very famously was very opinionated about everything and very perfectionist about everything and and really questioned things like the Silhouettes ad campaign. Uh, You know, know, Steve Jobs had a lot of problems with it. It doesn't really show the iPod. It doesn't really show the features. It just shows people dancing. (laughs) And, and, you know, the agency really stuck out those debates. And can you imagine going toe-to-toe with Steve Jobs and having him tell you, like, no. And then being like, <laughs> actually, yes, and let me explain why. And I just feel like that's such a great legacy. And as someone who, you know, I used to be an ad creative, and the idea of executives, because I'm sure that these teams had support from Lee and from the other leaders of, no, you know, we we believe in this idea. Uh, and and it feels like that's a – there are few legacies you can be more proud of, uh, right, Nancy, than, than knowing that, that the leadership is going to back up your creatives and really even if the client kind of is – ready to, to, you know, to shoot something down.
3: Oh, absolutely. I I think that uh, one of the things that I remember Lee telling us at a lunch we had was that um, the relationship that we have with our clients is still incredibly important and not just sort of a client service relationship, but the kind of relationship that allows us to push back and us to have a dialogue and us to have a debate uh, because inevitably there are going to be a multitude of times when we don't agree on the same subject. So that relationship is important and that that relationship was the basis on which, you know, many Apple things happened um, because there was trust and the ability to push back. The other thing Lee tells us, and you guys know this very well, is is to be brave and if you've got the top if you've got you know these legends telling you to be brave it automatically instills a sense of confidence to fight for what we believe is right um, because that's that's what we're that's what we stand for at TBWA it's about being brave it's about you know the idea of di- of disruption and, and to disrupt that's you know that, that, that has to um, that has to carry on and I and I think whenever we've sort of had a debate on whether or not something is worth fighting for We can always hear Lee saying, you know, be brave. Do you believe in it? Be brave.
0: One thing I wanted to kind of part on is, uh, because I saw this come up several times, and I was one of those where I was like, oh, okay, I'm glad it wasn't just me. You know, several people mentioned the documentary Art and Copy, which features Lee uh, among several other advertising uh, leaders. Uh, But Lee is such a breath of fresh air in that that, uh, documentary. You know, he just, and I saw several people saying that they were ready to just give up uh in the late 2000s yeah that was a rough era the 2000s was not an easy time uh to to be in advertising not that there probably ever has been an easy time at least since the 1950s but you know they he just kind of showed that he was this creative heart this creative soul he's still one of those people who can he can just ramble like he did this TEDx talk but it wasn't really a TEDx talk it was like him sitting in a in his office just rambling about the nature of genius And if it were anyone else, you would just stop it after... 30 seconds. <laughs> You'd be like, really, this is too much. But he's just so passionate about it, about like, what does it even mean to be a genius? And, and what does creativity really mean? And again, these are very self-indulgent conversations, but only you have to have a certain amount of kind of this authenticity uh, to, to be able to pull that off. And so many people I saw were saying, yeah, art and copy, once I saw that, once I saw Lee Cloud, I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, this stuff, there's still there's still something good to do here. Uh, and I was certainly kind of at that point of burnout as well when that movie came, came out and just seeing that and being like, yeah, okay, yeah. There's <laughs> there's some joy to be had <laughs> in, in all this. And, uh, and I, I'm curious, you know, Nancy, we've talked about this a little bit, but in terms of over the long term, how will Lee's philosophy, his message, you know, this joy for creativity and for big creative swings, like obviously he's still around, uh, you know, in some capacity. Uh, but how are you going to keep that going? And and when people come in in the newest generation who haven't really heard from him, who ha- weren't there for the years that he was really there in a in a functional role, uh, you know, wh- what are you gonna? How, what do you think you'll find yourself telling them about? Well, here's what Lee Klow always said, or <laughs> here's here's what he would have said uh, if he were still running things. Uh, wh- what what do you think that's going to be like?
3: Yeah, I I think we will say, make it smart, make it beautiful, have fun. Uh, I think that that will always stand the test of time and will always be relevant. The other thing is that um, in the times when our industry is being tested, and you you said it, I think even today it's being tested, Lee would say ideas have the power to save the world. Uh, And when you think about the job that we do on a day-to-day basis, if I can come in and contribute to ideas saving the world, that's a heck of a good job.
0: All right. That's a perfect note to end on. Nancy, thank you so much for making time for us. Nancy Reyes, the president of TBWA Chi at Day New York. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. It's been a joy to talk to you.
3: Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank Patrick,
0: you, thanks to you as well for making time for us. Of course. Our theme music is by Home. This episode was edited by Lane McGibney, produced by Anya Fernando, with audio production by Josh Rios. Please take a moment, if you have not already, to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews uh, mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Grinder with Adweek. Uh, we'll be back next week.